the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art in all places and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us from every stain and save our souls, O gracious Lord. Amen. In the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. <clears throat> this is one today. This is one that we are really, I have been praying throughout the week on this. We so desperately need the Holy Spirit to reveal any truth and for us to receive any truth. But this is one in particular, as I, as I look at where we've been going and where we're heading and today properly in this lesson, that we really need the Holy Spirit to enlighten the truths that are behind this. I really do ask, in fact, every time we gather together to receive the teachings of the church, whether it's hearing the word of God in the mass, through the, through the scriptures and the preaching and the prayers and everything else, or if it's in these classes, we really always ought to be seeking his voice and his wisdom for our lives. And all I can say is this is just one of those weeks where we're going, we're going to need it. Because what I'm going to present to you today, if all it stays is on the surface, good ideas, we get nowhere. It doesn't impact our lives. Intellectual truths, if they stay in the intellect, they do not grind out for our salvation. But if we treat the wisdom of Christ's church and everything that's been taught on issues that we're going to deal with today and ways of seeing things that we're going to deal with today, then our entire lives can be transformed. The experience of our lives in this life, the experience of the kingdom of God. So I really do invite you to prayerfully listen as I prayerfully speak today that we embrace some of these things, that they become a part of our lives. If they do, the profound experience that awaits every one of us is, is unfathomable. You know, last week, Father James, he shared a wonderful definition of wisdom. That wisdom is a two-way proposition. Wisdom is God revealing himself or revealing something from his mind to us. He is the one who shows us all things, reveals to us things. That's one part of wisdom. The other part of wisdom is the Holy Spirit within us enabling us to receive that which is being offered. And therein lies true wisdom. When the God who is wisdom shares himself or something with us, and we open our lives to be receivers of what he is sharing, because to, what it means to open our lives to receive that which he is sharing means not only information coming in, but allowing it to have its way in our lives, to have its way in our hearts. Because the wisdom that God shares of himself and his kingdom is transformative to the human person only if we do this. We embrace what he shares with us. And then we go from there to take what he shares with us and let it fester, so to speak. Let it stir. Let it ruminate. 
in our lives and in our hearts to the point where we start living from what we've seen. That's when wisdom becomes fullness of wisdom. I liken it to what Bishop John told me once, and you'll remember this because I've shared it a couple of times. I liken it to Bishop John. You remember I shared with you the story of one uh, particular weekend when he was visiting us before liturgy. A number of folks had brought icons to be blessed. And so he asked me, he said, you go ahead and do the, do the blessings. And he was there with me. And so we blessed the icons. And I was about to go put them up on the altar. And he looked at me and he said, now you know when an icon is truly blessed, don't you? And I said, tell me. He said, it's really only truly blessed when people pray before it. We don't talk magic in Christianity. We talk relationship. We talk relational activity. God revealing something, setting something aside, stirring something, showing us something. And we live a life to embrace it and move towards him in what we've seen. You see, that is the true wisdom. Everything we're going to talk about today is when I mention what God reveals, that we let it churn in our hearts. It's this pondering. As we set our gaze towards God and he reveals things to us, it's letting the revelation of himself and all of his wisdom and truths that we let them stir and we ponder these things in our hearts. Consider this. Do we ponder, think about it, in our lives, do we really ponder God? Do we really sit before him? Whether it's sitting before him in prayer or it's sitting before him listening to his voice, not, page, not words on a page, listening to his voice in Holy Scripture. Because every time we read off of that page, it is God sharing his thoughts with us, God sharing his mind. God sharing himself and truths that will bring life to us if we receive them. But do we ponder them? Do we sit or do we just read them like a duty? Or do we leave it just at the intellectual level where we're reading it as a narrative, as a novel? See, this would also be a very big shortcoming in the experience that we're to have with God in our lives. Do we ponder God and do we ponder all the things that he does in our lives? And all the things that he does in the lives around us and the things that he reveals to us, do we then go from that time of sitting before him to let them ruminate in our lives where we keep these things before us? Quite frankly, much like the Blessed Virgin Mary, who is just such a wonderfully perfect example of this relationship of a wisdom revealer and a wisdom receiver. If you remember, the Blessed Virgin Mary, she had just given birth to our Lord Jesus Christ, and she took the wonder of all that had transpired during her pregnancy, in her birth giving, which was wondrous in and of itself. She took the wonder of the things that she saw after she gave birth to our Lord Jesus Christ. When the shepherds came, the angels told them where to go. But what did the shepherds share? They shared their experience that while they were watching their flock in the night, one angel showed up and all of a sudden the whole heavenly host of angels, they saw every one of them singing glory to God in the highest. Mary's taking all of this in to herself. But then it says something most incredible in that passage when it says, but Mary kept all these things. What does it mean? 
right here. Everything was in the forefront of her mind, what she'd experienced in her pregnancy, her birth giving, and also in the, what transpired after the miraculous things that transpired when Christ was born and the incarnation had come. She said she kept all these things and she pondered them in her heart. She let them ruminate within her, which means, you know what that means? That means she chewed on them. You know, people joke about the fact that ruminating is like a, chow, a cow chewing its cud very, very slowly for that digestive process. We need to be bovine. <laughs> you know, we need to be cows. We need to chew on the things that God reveals about himself or the truths to us. Keep them before us. Keep him before us. Chew on them because every time we chew on them and every time the Blessed Virgin would ruminate, ponder these things in her heart, it led to a more healthy and full growth of understanding that would never be complete. As we talked about with God, we will never fully comprehend God in all his ways and fully comprehend his kingdom. It's ever growing. But the only way that we're going to grow is to place ourselves before God with such a fellowship posture, to take in what he receives, to look around us at all the unbelievable blessings that he does in our lives. If we could only see them on a daily basis. You know, in our lives, you ever considered, you know, it's a little bit tougher you ever considered keeping everything that God does in front of us? Have you ever considered what he allows not to happen to us or keeps from happening to us on a daily basis? But we don't ponder them. We fail to consider. We fail to think, to let them rush over us again and again. And by the help of the Holy Spirit, we gain the further illumination of what God planted as a seed when he revealed it. And then by the Holy Spirit and our engaging the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are watering the seed. We're letting it come to maturity within us so that we become the wisdom that he shared in the way that we live with him in the way that we see him, and so on and so forth. Does that make sense? When it comes to the Virgin Mary, listen, pondering these things in her heart. Listen to what St. Bede has to say. However, <clears throat> though her mouth was silent, in her careful, watchful heart, she weighed these secret things. She recognized that the prophets had been fulfilled in that moment and through her at the coming of the Son of God. She experienced conceiving a child while yet a virgin, bearing a son, naming him Jesus. She saw the Lord come in the flesh, whose power is one and eternal with the Father. Mary, he says, was comparing these things which she had read were to occur with those things that she recognized were now occurring. She pondered these things in her heart. And again, we see that perfect fullness of the definition of wisdom. God revealing, God active doing in Mary's life and around Mary's life. Mary receiving what he's showing her. And then she goes on and she constantly let, keeps it before her. And I promise you this, wouldn't just be the birth giving and what led up to it. 
Do you not think that she would keep and ponder in her heart all that she heard her son say? And all that she saw her son do? That she wouldn't ponder her pain at losing her son to death? And that she wouldn't ponder her elation at the absolute resurrection of her son once dead? She would spend the rest of her life keeping these things before her. And this is the life, my friends, of the disciple. There is no other life of the true disciple but one who places themselves again in that posture of fellowship with God. And receive from him and then chew on it all of their days. Here's something to ponder about God. And we're going to move to take a look at some things in the actual incarnation that have everything to do with what this whole series is about. And that's experiencing God and his kingdom in this life now and eternally. Before you go there, here's something you can chew on and ponder about God. This truth. From before all of creation, that includes the universe. From before all of creation, we see God makes himself known. We see a God who is always moving towards those he has created in order that we may know him. The movement of God never pauses in this. He is always, when there was nothing, he created a universe. And in that universe, when this world was formless and void, he so ordered this world in perfection for the sustaining of life and life eternal, actually. He so crafted this world in a perfect order. And the last thing he does is place us in it. And all of that that I just described in one incredible divine movement that what he created could get to know him. Don't let those words be words of simplicity. That is deep stuff. The heart and the nature of God is to reveal, to show, to offer us himself, to offer us everything for our benefit, for the sustaining of our life, for life eternal. This is the constancy of the nature of God. And we need to see this. We need to see this. That from the love that God is, he is always moving towards us for one reason. Because our salvation only comes by knowing him. You remember when Jesus said many things, he said, many people will come in that day and say, Lord, Lord, did I not cast out demons? Did I not do miracles? Did I not do all these things? And what does he say? He doesn't say, depart from me. You've done bad things. He said, depart from me. I never knew you. You didn't know me. All of our salvation is wrapped up in being receivers of the God who wants to make himself known. And there is no other salvation. Let me offer you some truths, some thoughts to ponder towards the wonder of God and how truly near he has come to us to reveal himself to us. Okay? Again, it's the whole point. The whole point of this series is opening our lives up to know God and experience him and enjoy him forever, now and forever. We pray the prayer in the prayer of the Holy Spirit or to the Holy Spirit, O heavenly King, O comfort of the Spirit of truth, who art in all places, and fillest all things. 
And I will tell you that for us to grow in living in and from this reality, the experienced kingdom of God in our lives, we are going to have to have set before us some truths about the incarnation. God taking on flesh. You talk about a divine movement of God making himself known. You will find no greater than the incarnation. God taking on flesh and dwelling among us. We have got to see how close God has drawn to us, how close he has pulled everything in the kingdom of God to us for our blessed experience and life and life therein in that kingdom here in this life. So let's talk about the incarnation. I'm only going to bring three examples from Holy Scripture, but these are examples for us to ponder. For us to let ruminate, not just in this room while we're talking together and listening today, but when we go forth from this place to keep before us. The first one, I want to talk about Blessed Saint Simeon from the Gospel of Saint Luke in chapter 2. Most of us will remember this story. Saint Simeon is a devout man, we're told, in Jerusalem who we are told was waiting for the one who would console Israel. First of all, I want to say this about St. Simeon. St. Simeon, this blessed saint, was locked, locked on to waiting for that which was the true nature of God. St. Simeon, listen to this, listen to what it says. This is from Scripture, that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. You see, he knew the nature of God, that when Messiah would come, he was coming like a mother hen to bring his children in, to wrap them up, to protect them, to be there, as we say in so many prayers in the Orthodox, in our, our Orthodox Western Rite, to succor us, to nurture, to help, to heal, to console, to woo to himself. All these words play a part in what blessed Saint Simeon was looking for. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Now, the Holy Spirit, we're told, was with him and had spoken to him that he would not die until he saw that very person, the incarnation, the consolation of Israel in the flesh. We know that St. Simeon lived to a very old age because of this. Now, one day, the Holy Spirit led this old man at a very old age. He led this old man to go to the temple. Because St. Joseph and the Blessed Virgin Mary were bringing the Christ child to the temple according to the law of Moses. And so St. Simeon was there when they came in. St. Simeon took the child in his arms. And in that moment, God revealed himself to St. Simeon. When he took him in his arms, that he was holding in his arms the consolation of Israel that he was holding in his arms the Savior of the world. His Lord, Jesus Christ, was in his arms. Now stop for a minute. Lest we be in danger of hearing just a narrative, even if it's a wondrous narrative. See, this is the thing, this is the problem we have sometimes. We read Holy Scripture and we treat it like a narrative coming to us, like a story. In reality... The absolute salvation Christ himself comes to us through all of Holy Scripture. And we need to see what just happened, not just, oh, that's neat. 
St. Simeon was holding the baby Christ in his arms. That's not enough, my friends. The, the saints of the church don't even let that be enough. The hymns of the church don't even let that be enough. Because do you realize that in that very moment when St. Simeon took Jesus, the child, in his arms, in a very real moment of time and history, when St. Simeon took the child into his arms, that St. Simeon touched the great I am, that St. Simeon touched Almighty God. St. Simeon held God in his arms. And he knew it because the Holy Spirit had revealed it to him. And there are many hymns in the church, both Western Rite and Eastern Rite, that speak to this truth of God being held in the arms of St. Simeon and St. Simeon recognizing it. How woeful that we fall to the lie so many times in our lives by the cultural influence around us and, and the demonic around us, that we fall to the lie relegating salvation and the experience of God and his kingdom to an intellectual construct alone. How near God has come to us. Do you see this? To reveal himself to us so we know him. Second example, the healing of the deaf mute. In the Gospel of St. Mark in chapter 7. This ought to be fresh on your minds. It was only four or five weeks ago that in Mass, this was our Gospel reading. I bring it to you again very intentionally for us to consider it further. Listen to the Scripture. Then they brought to Jesus one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they begged him to put his hand on them. And he took him aside from the multitude. He put his fingers in his ears. And he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosed. And he spoke plainly. St. Ephraim the Syrian. Blessed St. Ephraim refuses to let us just hear a narrative, a story. For he speaks the words that I like to call the very language of the incarnation. He shares these words with us to draw us into pondering what happened in that moment. What really happened when the deaf mute was touched by Christ our God. Listen to his words. Consider them today. That power, which may not be handled, came down and clothed itself in members that can be touched. That the desperate, all of us, that the desperate may draw near to him. That in touching his humanity, they may discern his divinity. See, that's what happened to St. Simeon. In his arms, he touched the humanity that God had wrapped himself with. But as he touched the humanity, he discerned the divinity in his arms. You see this? This is what he's saying. He goes on, he says, For that speechless man, the Lord healed with fingers of his body. He put fingers into the man's ear and touched his tongue. At that moment, with fingers that may be touched, that man touched the Godhead that may not be touched. 
immediately. This loosed the string of his tongue and opened the clogged doors of his ears for the architect of the body itself and the artificer of all flesh had come personally to him. And with his gentle voice, tenderly opened up his obstructed ears. We could be hours pondering each sentence that this blessed saint sees here because he pondered it. And what was he shown? I'll tell you what he's shown for us. That just as God drew that near in Christ to this deaf mute, that he took on flesh, became us, drew near to us, so that we who we know are so very desperate for him might touch what he can touch him, experience him in our lives to the healing of soul and body when it's his will. You see this? How close, how near has God come to man that we might be touched by him, that we might discern his divinity, that we might find our souls healed in the process of this relationship and this fellowship. This is what we're after. You see, everything that we're considering today, the things we're all pondering together, even about, even as I'm speaking about this, I am considering, you know? I can't not. Everything that we're doing, everything we're hearing, we're talking about the very wrecking ball to that two-story universe existence that we've been deceived into experiencing in this life. The wrecking ball himself is Jesus Christ, the Incarnation. Who, drawn, who is drawn so near to us. The wrecking ball is also that second part of wisdom, receiving these things and doing these things. Pondering them in our hearts, moving towards Him. So that we get out of that second story universe where we feel like God is distant, pops in every now and again, and goes about His business, and we go about our mundane business as if there's this constant separation between us and God. This constant separation of existence. We have to ponder these things in our hearts. And not just in this class, we have to live a life gazing upon God, considering what we see. The last example, not from Holy Scripture, but really a continuation of what St. Ephraim has been saying. I thought about this. Quite frankly, it was, it was interesting. Just the other night, my wife was walking through the house, and I was walking through the house, and... We had a moment of a hug. Yeah, I know, your priest hugs his wife. We get that. And as I hugged my wife, I was reminded of another thing. I, I felt the body, the flesh. Do you realize that when Jesus was incarnate, this is exactly how they experienced God? I mean, look, we talked last week. We, we gave these incredible images of who God is or what he is. We talked about the God who is unoriginate, without beginning. We talked about God Almighty, the one who is omniscient. Father James threw in there that he is the one who permeates all that he has created. His father said last week that he's all powerful, that he's perfect in holiness. But watch this, that which was perfect in holiness, omniscient, could be touched. How near has God drawn to us? See, we think stories. People touched him. Hmm? People felt, people were hugged. 
by the one who created them in their mother's womb. You see this? I came to Jesus because of a physical hug. I've shared this testimony a number of times, but some of you are new. You may not have heard it, but I share it now. When I was 13 years old, we had, we had just moved back. We lived in Denton, Texas for about six years, moved back to New Orleans. I was 13 and I went to my first youth group meeting. Now the youth group leader, Don Edwards, he'd been the youth group leader for a long time. He'd known me since I was a toddler, two years old. This man literally in the pews of the church after church would pick me up and throw me up in the air. You know, that's how long I'd known him. And he was the youth leader. So I walk into youth group and I'm experiencing the incarnation and the love that these youth had for one another. I'd never, I'd never experienced anything like this. And at the end of the night, I'm already contemplating what I just saw. At the end of the night, I go to go out the door of the home in which we met. And Don, who'd known me from two years old, gave me a hug. It was not Don giving me a hug. It was our Lord Jesus Christ wanting me to come to him. And I knew it. Through flesh and blood, just like we, he was in this earth, Don, a man filled with the Holy Spirit who loved God. I didn't experience a hug from Don, although Don had the gift of hugs. There's no question about this. But I experienced Jesus Christ through flesh in a hug. That is how near he drew near to me. My life was done then. It was over with. And I knew I would follow him. You see? It's the truth of what has happened. I give you this example. I wanted you to see, I could have every one of you shake each other's hands, but you know what physical touch feels like. And the one who created all of the universe to share himself with you came that close to us. But I have to tell you, the story doesn't end there. And the nearness of God to us, believe it or not, gets better than the incarnation in embodied Jesus Christ. How? Jesus said, it is better for me to go to the Father than to, it's better for you that I go to the Father. Why? Because if he goes, what's he going to do? Send the Holy Spirit, which will be poured out at Pentecost. Listen to the prophet Ezekiel, excuse me, prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36, because this is what God always had in his mind to do from, to save us from the very beginning. God speaks the words through the prophet Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart when I do this. I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Here it is. I will put my spirit where? Within you. Even all the days that Jesus dwelled physically with man and they could touch him and hear his voice, and experience him and receive from him wisdom coming out of him all the time, that great revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. He would kick it up a notch at Pentecost. You find me a way that God can draw nearer to you than to come and dwell in you. I'm not talking intellectual theology. I'm talking about salvation's reality which is the theology of our church. It is that which has been revealed to us. Christ would no longer dwell embodied in his own singular physical body, birthed of the Blessed Virgin, 
Christ our God would now be embodied within us. He would choose to dwell in us by the Holy Spirit. God being near, that near to us. And the kingdom of God is where, Jesus says. Jesus even said the kingdom of God is within you. St. Paul says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The place where the Most High God actually dwells. If we're going to experience the kingdom of God and the God who is this near to us, then we are going to have to be a people that sit before him in fellowship, that ponder what we are receiving, not just in the time of fellowship, but take it with us, water it, let it grow like we talked about. Then and only then are we going to see the blossoming of the experience of God, the growth in divine wisdom, and the experience of the kingdom of God in our lives, in our families, in our homes, in everything that we do, even in our worship, even in our worship. To sit before him and gaze upon him like a child who is found in wonder at what our eyes are beholding. Our Lord wants us to come like children just ready to receive because he is the one who gives that very revelation. And with everything he does and shows us in this life, we keep them like Mary right in front of us to let them have their full way as God intends in our life. You see, this is that relationship of wisdom that we started off talking about. The Father mentioned last week, God moving towards us, revealing himself and our movement towards God, enabled by the Holy Spirit to have eyes to see, to, to experience what's been revealed and to cultivate it in our lives. Look in your lives for all of the ways in God's kingdom, his holy church, that he's given us opportunities to have revelations of him, to sit and have him revealed to us. Let's talk about the liturgy first. Shall we? Let's, let's remember the ways in the divine liturgy that he gave us. By the way, you do know the divine liturgy is the great expressor of the divine. Everything we do in liturgy, the very pattern of it from beginning to end, is the constant experience of the divine revelation of God in so many ways. Our head would spin if we're just looking. And our hearts would be overjoyed. So let me throw out a few things you might ponder. First, we talked about St. Simeon. And when St. Simeon held in his arms God Almighty, what welled up by the Holy Spirit with joy, great praise, what we call the Nunc Dimittis, that we sing every Vespers. Right? Lord, you have now, I've seen your salvation, I can go. But he's praising God for what he has seen. This is what's stirring up in our hearts. Perhaps next time we sing the Nunc Dimittis, we don't think that we're singing it just about Simeon. Perhaps when we sing the Nuke Dimittis, we're praising God for how near he's come to us in those moments. We're embracing, opening ourselves up to his reality in our lives in those very moments. In the liturgy itself, you know, when you see the procession, when we sing that initial hymn, the procession into the church, ponder this reality. Because you know what the procession represents in the church. The procession is never to be seen as those serving at the altar. Here they come, here we go. The procession represents what the early church did initially. They all processed. 
every one of them, they met outside of the home or whatever building it was. And when it was time for the Lord to act, as they say in the Eastern Rite, what did they do? They followed the priest in. All of them set their faces toward the altar, took their places as the priesthood of all believers, because they knew that as they processed in, that Jesus Christ and all his kingdom was awaiting them therein. You see? When you see that procession, don't look at men serving at an altar. In fact, everything we do is supposed to deflect off us and point you to Jesus anyway. But when you see that procession, you have in your mind, we now draw near to God because he's drawn near to us. Ponder the reality that God has come extraordinarily close to you because he loves you and he wants to heal you. When you hear the scripture read, again, this isn't audible. You know, this isn't just hearing somebody read something that's on a page. You hear the voice of God giving you wisdom, showing you something of his ways. Listen with an ear that is basically asking the question, what do you want me to see? Wisdom, let us attend. There it is. There's wisdom all over. God's going to reveal through scripture. We attend to receive. Very, yes, absolutely. Wisdom, let us attend. When you hear, no matter who is preaching the sermon, same thing. God incarnate speaking to us all, including the one that's preaching. Receiving from God. When you see, how about the gospel procession? What do we see in the gospel procession? Again, it's not men carrying a book, coming down a few steps, and going right into the middle of the place where we worship. When you see the gospel procession, you know every meditation we just said on the incarnation of how God condescended and took on flesh to be touchable, to be experienced, that we might embrace him and hold him in our lives, that he might save us through that blessed fellowship. The scene of the procession, of the gospel procession, is Jesus condescending, for he is the gospel. He's not, it's not a book. The gospel comes from heaven to earth to us to become one of us so that we might, after the procession ends, follow his ascension by the transformation of our lives. So when you see the gospel procession occur, ponder it in your heart. Ruminate on what God has done for you, is doing for you, even in those moments. And I'd be totally remiss if I didn't see, say what the pinnacle was, Eucharist. Eucharist. My friends, here is where it gets very physical. Through bread and wine, we touch God. Through bread and wine, we take the divine revelation of himself, who he is, and we receive it into ourselves. And when we go back to our pews, don't go back thinking about a lot of different stuff. Ruminate on what has just been done for you. You've touched God. No different than St. Simeon. No different than the deaf mute that needed healing. The Christian life is a life of faith where two relationships collide. Always. God moving towards us, that alone won't do it. Man must open their hearts to receive the movement. 
And my friends, I tell you this, only then will the kingdom of God be truly recognized and realized and experienced in our lives. And we will be able to grow, not in the knowledge about God, but we will be able to grow in the knowledge of God, truly knowing him. That way, when we go stand before him, he says, I know you. You know me. Enter into your rest. Today, I don't want any comments, questions. I want pondering. I want you to take everything that you've received, and I want you to let it ruminate, and I want you to put it into practice, and you pray that I do the same, that we may experience a greater slice of the kingdom of God. Hmm? Let's stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. God bless you all.